When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, this is Emil Heskey and you're listening to the guys of Coppen Fractures. Everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the world's greatest Liverpool Football Club podcast. That is indeed Cop and Fracas, powered by Touchline Media Group, and I am your host, as always, Chris. Joining joining me this week to talk about all things Liverpool as we head into the winter break. But there is no winter break here at Cop, so we'll be continuing the pods. I've got Mike, Peter, and Mush. Gentlemen, how are you doing this fine evening as we record? Like I said, we're heading into the winter break. A little bit of a downtime for us as football. You know, we could really focus on the finale of AFCON, the end of the transfer window. Even though Liverpool do no business, we can still complain about it anyway. And just got really focusing on what the goal should be for the end of the season now. So how are you all doing? Yeah, man, good. First part of uh, 2022. So uh, good good to get it off the ground. Um, do you know what? It's gone from this weird period of us almost jealously watching City, thinking our season means nothing, to suddenly everyone being invested again, everyone thinking the world doesn't end when when Mo and Sadio leave us behind. So now, man, I feel like my emotional investment in Liverpool Football Club is, is at a really, really high point at the moment. No idea why. The bar is so low. All it took was a win against Palace, but, but we're here, man. So, yeah, delighted. I think I think it's because you were told the goals were the problem, and you know that problem would really <laughs> come to the forefront. Whilst the two main fellas, where are the goals going to come from? Where are the goals going to come from? I didn't think you'd have your money on Fabinho when uh, though you were told goals were the problem. But you know, man, we move, we move, we do what we do, and we move. Always, always, and if that goals goals are the problem, guys listening, I, I hope you're well, brother. <laughs> Mike, how are you doing, sir? 
Bro, all good. I share like Mush's optimism. So I feel like I feel alive basically when it comes to Liverpool. I just feel so alive. I feel like, you know, we've got the new Jota song that's kind of doing the rounds. You've got, you know, some, some, the form's been good. You know, it feels like something's building. We're in all four competitions still. Liverpool could feasibly win four trophies this season. You know, you never know. You never know. So I feel alive. I feel optimistic. I'm ready to attack the, the rest of the season with the boys. I like to hear, man. Uh, I always think it's you always know when that that little spark is back in the air when yeah we're being called the devil's club once again, and <laughs> that's when you, Live that's when you really know we're getting into that time of the season. You know, it's the time of the year, so long may continue. And last but not least, Peter, how are you doing, sir? Yeah, all good, all good, brother. Um, yeah, I've been there the last couple of weeks, been been on the show, but yeah, I think I was just thinking like now. There's nothing like going into like a break with a win, like, and I'll say this because no, normally, like, let's say you go into the break with a loss, you'll just be in that break thinking about a loss twenty four seven over and over and over again, like just replaying your mind. But I think when you go into the break with a win, you're like you're, you're like you're optimistic and you're you're ready for the for the season to come back. So yeah, I think I think it's sweet. Going going into the break with a loss, I'd have been running around the crib just like. It's like train boys in the hood, you know, just punching all the air, doing all sorts of madness, like you know, you know what? thinking we're, we're, about the rude opportunities. I think we lost to West Ham, and then we had an international break, and that was the worst. Oh, that it was, was the manner in which we lost it as well. Like, oh, because I was just replaying that, that. That what goal was it? Was it the one where Bowen just ran through? Out of, that goal was replaying and replaying in my mind, twenty four seven. Terrible, but this yeah, sport. This 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 thing of ours called sport is actually sick when you think about it. The, the the grasp it takes over your life and your soul and how it can affect every single emotion within you is absolutely disgusting. It, it, it honestly should have tax exempt status the way it's close to a religion. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> obviously, some teams did go into the win- go into this winter break during nil nil to Burnley of all teams as well. So you know. Godspeed with that. Uh, let's get into the housekeeping very quickly. Uh, the return. The return of Touchline 5 is imminent. Of course, if you are a london Blaze 5 aside football player and you want to get into the cage, and of course, if you want to represent Cop and Fracas, because we have a team, we are recruiting. I am the honorary director of football. I've been tasked with finding some of the greatest talent in the London-based area. They want to come and ball out. You know, play. I want people to play for the badge. I want people to play for the badge. I want tricks. I want skills. And of course, I want goals because I've been told the goals are the issue, especially in five side, which is a bit mad. And if you can do sweeper keeper, I'll rate you even higher. So if you do want to come down, if you want to ball out, play for Coppen, and of course, play with some of the cast, you can possibly play with Peter, Mush, Anik, and some of the other guys as well. They may make an appearance. It'll be like the old school Premier League legends games. You know, one of the guys will come in and you know, they'll be the John Aldridge of that team. Spearhead you through and you'll get a lovely, nice win. So if you're interested and you feel like you want to participate with the team and play some, some of the other club pods as well, if you like, if you, put it this way, if you don't like someone that's on the Chessie Hour podcast or the Mugger podcast, you can come in. I'm not saying snap them, but I mean, you can you, you could leave one in. Theoretically, you could leave one in. I'm not saying do it, but theoretically, you could do it. I'm taking the liability away from it. That's all I'm saying. Um, so if you are interested, DM us or send us a message to the Cop and Fracas account on Twitter. That is, of course, at Cop and Fracas. And we'll get back to you in due course. And of course, if you didn't know, there is a Touchline Fracas 11s team as well. And the boys are desperately in need 
of a goalkeeper, and I've got two of the main stars of the team. Yeah, I'm giving I'm giving them star status because they're my boys, man. You know what I mean? I've got to shine them up like that. So Moshe and Peter both play for the Touchline Eleven's teams and they're they're in desperate need of a goalkeeper. So guys, I don't know if you want to do a quick pitch to someone, potentially Loris Carriers if he's listening to the pod as well. You know, he might be available. So I guess the only criteria is do you own a pair of gloves? Are you above five foot three? If so, Please get in touch with Touchline Group. The desperation is so far now, there may even be financial remuneration for you being able to go and go. We are desperate for a keeper, an amazing group of guys, where even if you win 10-0, you will be told how you didn't play well. So it's that lovely, toxic atmosphere, which is, on all jokes aside, the most fun you will ever have. Great group of guys. All of the agenda you see on our weekly pods, across the clubs it's like living that in a changing room so no anyone who wants to come have a great time and you know keep clean sheets on a weekly basis you're more than welcome and we'd love to hear from you yeah i think i think the main thing is that it's just it's just it's good fun and obviously you get to keep fit you get to play regularly and you get like the camaraderie of like you know i'm saying playing with a team playing with a group of lads that you know i'm saying probably the same like social um like status so atmospheres you so yeah it's just great fun so come on down if you're a goalkeeper Come help us, come try, you know what I'm saying? Come come on down. So yeah. I love how one of the parameters was above five for free. Like you know when you do those football manager filters where you need to find a specific player, like <laughs> you narrow it down just five for free. Chris, if you've seen the criteria for some of the keepers, believe me. I've I've been watching some of our keepers thinking, are they gonna touch the crossbar? So it is it's a bit nuts, but yeah, don't don't get loved. Don't get loved at all. Yeah, if you are interested. Is that for Liverpool or for touchdown? I'm confused now. Oh, no, no. Because we've had some horrendous goalkeepers. <laughs> we've had some good ones. Mate, some horrendous ones. We're going to go into one who plays for us who definitely isn't horrendous, man. Facts. Yeah, if, if, you know, if, if you do play like Alison Becker, get in touch with the boys. They could definitely <laughs> do with you on the team. So, you know, do get in contact with at Touchline Fracas on Twitter um, today. And, of course, before we do get stuck into the pod, if you do want to hear more from... Myself, Mike, Mush, Peter, and the rest of the lovely cast that we have here at Copy and Fracas. They subscribe to the Patreon page today from just £3 per month. The link is in the bio. Or do head directly over to www.patreon.com forward slash Copy and Fracas and subscribe today. Um, let's get stuck into it, gents. And I mean, a brilliant win to cap off what has looked like a very fantastic January, all things considered. Even more sweeter, that lovely cherry on top. Which was Man City dropping points to Southampton on Saturday night. We, I saw Pep's comments the day before, and I was thinking he, he did he did the usual, so good, so wide, so good, <laughs> fantastic team. And I was like, oh god, they're going to get battered five. Didn't they? This is how this ends. This is really how this ends. But I mean, Southampton and Salisu, they put up a very good fight um, and took two pay, two points away from the mighty Manchester City and. I just want to know from you guys, realistically, with, with this result, how impactful is this now in terms of setting the momentum, setting the tone for the rest of this campaign going forward? I mean, if I was... if I, I think the main thing, which I think is even different to what you said, Chris, is that you said that the City dropping points was the, the cherry on top. But I think City dropping points was the entire cake because if, we, if City hadn't dropped points, I don't feel like anything good we achieved would have felt like there was purpose or a step forward um relating to it whereas now it feels like 
all of this good kind of work is justified because it's leading towards pressurizing something. So I think that's massive, man. Bro, I tweeted before the game, 4D chess move. I said, there's more chance of me being sent to space than Southampton getting some points off City today. So just try to make sure something, the universe kind of channels its way towards us. So um, no, it was it was perfect, man. And um, I, guess, I, I guess what we want to see now is more and more of these City performances where I thought a lot of the City players were kind of just a yard off what they needed to be. Foden, Bernardo, apart from De Bruyne and a few shots, I didn't see City really having a way of scoring. So that lull of these robots eventually needed to come. So I'm hoping that's now. And it's really, really our job to capitalise, man. So let's see. Yeah, I think that's the, the, the series Mush in Space will be coming to Cup very soon as well. Sorry, Mike, I interrupted you. Go on. No, I think those, those are all good points. For me, I just think if you offered me the chance that Liverpool could go six points behind City, despite the fact that City have gone on a 12-game winning run, I would have absolutely taken that. I definitely would have taken that, especially what happens in this navigation around the Tottenham game, the Chelsea game, and the kind of weirdness around that too. I definitely would have taken it. So I think we're in a good, really good position. And City will drop points again this season. Like They're not going to win every single game. The important thing for us now is we, we need to kind of be they be there when they drop points. When they drop points, we have to win our games and kind of be consistent. Now, obviously, people have doubts about whether we can be consistent or not, but I really do believe that this side can go on a run. I mean, hopefully, we're kind of players returning. We're going to discuss a bit later, but with players returning, the likes of Thiago Elliott, who are really, really important for us, hopefully, we can go on a really good one. I think a final thing on the Southampton thing is hopefully that kind of result and the way Southampton approached that game is an inspiration to other teams. Because I think often when teams play City, they just wait for their death and don't really have a plan to hurt City. It's like, how can we de- delay the inevitable? And I think Southampton had a really clear plan of like picking the moments when to be intense, you know, kind of really being aggressive at times and also sitting back and, and dropping deep. That's fine. You have to do that against City. You have to suffer against them. But having that plan and being kind of aggressive because teams have shown in the past when you are aggressive against the Guardiola side, you can get some results. So hopefully there are some teams, maybe the kind of teams from six, six to kind of 17th, those kind of sides that can hopefully get something off City this season because we are we are relying on favours but I'm confident I'll drop points so I just hope that we can kind of be there to take advantage when they do. I always find it really really interesting that the way to approach Liverpool and the way to approach Manchester City are the complete polar opposites. It, it makes sense to actually attack Manchester City make a bit of an effort to kind of go at them and that's where you can damage them whereas when you do the exact same thing you do against Manchester City and just sit back that's probably the best way to get out of Liverpool. So I always find the, the kind of that change of philosophy just really interesting. Peter, I'll, I'll come to you kind of on the same points as well. Just how, just how big in terms of the momentum and I think the belief, I think it's more impactful for us as as fans as well, just kind of having that, not even a glimmer of hope, but a nice thing to consistently keep holding up, you know, with the game in hand and with everything still to play for for the rest of the season. Um, I think it's big, it's big for our players and big for us in terms of, like Moshed, giving the players something to, to dream of and to work for. So when we win and when we kind of, we can hopefully get a run of results together, we know that we need to do this so that we can stay in touch with Man City and there's a glimmer of hope there in case they do drop points. I don't think it's a big thing in terms of the title race, to be honest, because I just do think Man City are kind of a, you know what I'm saying, I think it's kind of a too much of a big gap to kind of chase them and kind of keep up with them in terms of um, taking like taking the spot. But it's big for us in terms of chasing them and having a glimmer of hope because you don't want to be nine, ten points behind them and trying to win every game. Like, it's hard to really keep that 
momentum, keep that you know motivation. That's the word I'm looking for. Keep that motivation, chasing them ten points behind. Like, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a myth. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Let's get into the game itself as well. Um, I think we all, I think, I think the lineup was what we all expected in terms of you know midfield and the attack too. Obviously, Oxlade Chamberlain was a really good benefit coming back as well. First five, and the first five, 35 minutes of that game, wow, just honestly, some of the most phenomenal, breathtaking, and blistering football I've seen. The way we controlled the ball, I'm sounding like Pep now, so good, so good. The way we controlled the ball, <laughs> the way we pressed, it, it just win the ball back. It was just absolutely relentless football. And, and, and Mush, I think you kind of shared the same sentiment as me as well, kind of that first 35 minutes. It's just, you just you'd loved to see it, you absolutely loved it, bro. I- I mean, I said it at the time, that that for me is the peak of what we've seen this Liverpool team and what Klopp has built. That 35 minutes is a package of everything we want to see. The ball moving fast, switching play quickly, minimal touches, not letting Palace breathe, not letting them believe they can even clear the ball. It, it, it was just, it just embodied. And I think everyone was a bit... Emotional is a weird word, but everyone was like, oh, my God, I have missed this feeling of, of dominance so much. And I mean, I, I mean, we were speaking kind of in the group and I think Fahi said that a lot of it had to do with Palace playing badly. But I, I genuinely believe you could have put any team in Europe in front of how Liverpool played for that isolated 35 minutes. And there's no one who comes out of that managing that well. So. No, it, it was brilliant and, and there were some fantastic individual performances. But I think the main thing we associate with the best of Liverpool is, is the word control. And, and we, we just played that game with like having puppet strings with, with Palace. So no, it was, was really, really enjoyable. And weirdly, sadly, it's less than 50% of the match, but that's filled me with enough belief for the rest of the season. So yeah, it's had enough of an effect on me, but. Yeah, it was a it was a weird two sided uh, two sided coin of the old control game uh, as it did go on for 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 Liverpool. So yeah, a very much a very good template of what to do and what not to do. Really, and speaking of templates, Mike, I'll come to you. Kind of that relentless approach and really blitzing and going hard for the first thirty five minutes of games, especially against the lesser opposition where we've dropped the points this season and we've had that tempo kind of slow down as well. Do you think this should be the template for how we approach these games for the remainder of the season? I actually think the Arsenal game is a good template because I think that's the game where you can all totally control the game for like a, a longer spell than you see in the Palace game. Because I tweeted that after the, the, the Arsenal game, I didn't feel like Arsenal were going to score after about 70 minutes. I was kind of convinced that this was a game that Liverpool only needed one goal to win. Obviously, we, got, we get two goals, Jossa scores later on, but we kept Arsenal at bay. And I think... The best version of Liverpool sides, the one, the ones I love, the kind of 18-19 team, 19-20 teams, those teams needed one goal to win. And if they, if they needed a second goal, they'd fight to the end and get that second goal. Um, and I think that should be the platform. The platform and the kind of, the, or the, the template story should be, how can we control phases of the game where, you know, we are like our 1920s team, where we don't dangle the carrot too much to teams and kind of, you know, let them come on to us. And we actually are killing their kind of counter-attacks. We are actually like, you know, killing any opportunities they have to kind of hurt us on the break. Because I think what happens in this game is, you know, Palace pose absolutely zero threat, apart from occasionally, very occasionally, in that 35 minutes felt like a, a sporadic kind of threat on a counter-attack. Beyond that, they opposed zero threat. I don't think they have a shot in that period. What goes, what happens after that is they become the, the, the game's kind of dominant force from an attacking point of view. 
for like 30, 35 minutes, so from like the 35th minute to probably like the 60th, 65th minute. Um, and that's not what we want. We don't want to give teams like Pilots who have dangerous players like Elise as they came off the bench, um, um, Edward. We don't want to give them 30-minute spells where they're having chances, and not just chances, high-quality chances. So for me, the template is about kind of like, how can we control games? And I think City are a good example because I watch City and their games for me quite boring, partly because City just suffocated the life out of our opposition to the point where they just dominated those games. And we used to do that. The best version of Liverpool sides on the club were for opposition teams or opposition fans quite boring to watch because Liverpool were just so dominant. Um, and I think the Arsenal games actually way that. And I think you see that for the first half of the Palace game. But obviously there might be a drop off because of like tiredness um, and like just lack of control and lack of um, sort of concentration, sorry. But Mike, do you think that that's like obtainable for us? Like I, I get that City are amazing at doing that, but I'm probably happy with how we played in that way because I know that this Liverpool team isn't capable of that, whether it's through some of our players not being as good as before or other players kind of ageing or big players being missing. Can we really expect a City level of control with, with the current... It, it doesn't have to be City level. Like if, it, it can be what we saw in the Arsenal game. It can be what we saw for the first 35 against Palace where you do that for an extended period. And I guess that obviously it requires a lot of intensity, both kind of mentally and physically. I, I get that. But that should be what we should at least aim for because I think what we have at the moment is teams going to little games against Liverpool knowing that even if they're 2-0 down, they will have a spell for potentially 30 minutes where they could hurt Liverpool and create not just chances, but I'm talking about chances where they should score, like high-quality chances, chances where they're creating like tap-ins for, for teammates and stuff. like That should not be happening. So, listen, it is difficult. We, we, Liverpool, This Liverpool team now will never be the 1920 team, partly because players from that team have dropped off. So Mane is not who he was in 2019. Van Dijk probably isn't what he was in 2019. Henderson. Um, Henderson's or who he was. So, like, that's not going to happen. But I still think that there is a way you can control games better that don't, doesn't give teams like Palace kind of, like, encouragement. Just a quick one for you guys as well. After they scored the goal, did you have, and the subsequent, you know, play periods of play after that, did you think they were going to score after or no? Pete, you can have that, man. Um... I, I knew someone was going to score. <laughs> Whether it's them or us, I don't know. But I knew someone was going to score. Just the way Liverpool play, and Mike's completely right in that. And I think I think maybe there's a balance between maybe not having the same level of seat control because obviously we do have different players and they have more meticulous players who kind of like to, you know what I'm saying, slow the ball down and really like like um, slowly kill teams, you know what I'm saying, like Gundogan, Modri, those are really like, they like to have the ball, a lot of the ball and really slow pass it, whereas our players are a bit more intense. But I think the way we lend to playing is that even when we're tuning up, what I see from the players is that like, even when we're tuning up, Robertson is like, he'll drive with the ball, you know what I'm saying, fizz it into Jota and then like, you know, sometimes just like, bro, like, just, yeah, <laughs> slow it, slow it, slow it down, bro. Because it's like, it doesn't have to be like that, you know what I'm saying? Even like, like Matip as well, I love Matip's passing. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love that whole progressive passing. Like, I'm a fan of that. But even when we tune her up, sometimes you really don't have to fizz it in through the lines to draw when we tune her up. Like, you can literally just go side to side. So, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, kind of like a swing. Like, you see how we do it sometimes where like, Matip will go to Van Dyke and go to Robertson and we'll go all the way back up, 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 up until Trent. Like, just slow it, slow it down a bit. Um, and I think that's mainly on, like, the, the senior players, like your Van Dykes, your Matip, your Robertson, Fabinho. Those are the players that really get on the ball a lot. 
especially this Liverpool side, like you'll see how like Matip has like the most touches. You'll see Van Dijk has a lot of touches. So I think those are the type of players that I'll look to to kind of slow it down. And I don't know if it's kind of extra instruction from Klopp to kind of um, help us with our attacking. Because I know last season we struggled a lot in terms of scoring goals. So I feel like him and Pep have kind of really worked on kind of how to score goals and the setup and, you know what I'm saying, get players in good positions so that we can score goals. And obviously it's helped, but I think there has to be kind of a balance to when we're ahead. Okay, now we kind of, we still kind of have this impotence of we still want to score goals, but we don't have to go 100 miles per hour like we was in that 30, first 30 minutes, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, to answer your point, Chris, I, I knew someone was going to score, but I wasn't confident whether it was going to be us or Palace, you know what I'm saying? Because we still did look dangerous on the break, but I just didn't like the way Palace had so much of the like, of the ball and they were able to create chances and stuff like that. So, yeah. I think, no, I Palace... think, that's, I think that's fair. So, sorry, Mike. Because Actually, God, I'll have my point after. No, no, I was just going to say, I think Palace's spell of dominance, when you watch the game, you feel this sense of jeopardy throughout the second half, but it's actually only from the kind of, if you look at the second half, probably from like 45th minute up until the 65th minute, where yeah. they have like, where they really trouble us. After that, the only chance they yeah, create is when yeah. the ball gets played in behind, I think at least they try to chip Allison. Yeah. But after that, they, they tire quite significantly. I think you notice them tire and Liverpool has gained a semblance of control, I think, towards the back end of the game. So it's really interesting that you guys kind of said said that as well because there's been a whole narrative, and I think it's more perpetuated by by the penalty at the end, which we'll kind of come on come on to later as well. That Liverpool were really hanging on for dear life, you know. No, it wasn't. No. They, they were scraping a weird, which is weird for me because when I was looking at it, obviously after Palace get the goal, I think it's normal instinct that we all feel, feel a bit nervous. You know, Liverpool need to kind of sort it out a little bit. But from from a defensive point of view, I actually think we do quite well. Granted, we can see a lot of possession and Palace do look quite threatening, but I was reading some interesting stats and did the research on it as well. So they have three shots before we score the penalty and they, they create a combined XG of 0.14. So we do a real good chance of like absolutely lowering the risk and mitigating. It just looks worse because you're in the heat at the moment. You've got Jamie Carragher shouting about, ooh, the high line, ooh, ooh, the high line. And, and everything's just going on, so... They actually do a very good job of mitigating that entire risk, but yeah, it's it's just weird how kind of like we were saying at the beginning, the, the emotions how they kind of really cascade in football and kind of make you feel emotionally different to what's happening on the pitch. I think I think Mike's spot on in that point where it's like the majority of their danger comes from minute thirty five until like minute like fifty fifty five. You know, that's when even from minute 35 until they score their first goal, because that's when I think all are like, they have loads of big chances, you know what I'm saying? Like, the Elise chances, um, the back hill from, is it Edward? Like, those are kind of big, the big chances, you know what I'm saying? And after that, when they score their, after they score their first goal, it's kind of like, we, we're still kind of comfortable, but Palace still have a lot of the ball, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's where mainly the, the big chances come. I think a big thing about what we probably didn't like about the performance is more to do with exactly like what you're saying Chris about three or four big chances added up to such a small xg I think one thing we don't like and like we our whole discourse at the moment is all about comparing it to the best Liverpool we've seen right in terms of this team is that we were letting Palace play and pick up the ball in areas where when Liverpool were good you could never play through those areas of the pitch yeah. You know, there was never space on either side of Fabinho before. There were never pockets you could pick up. There was never a time where you could, as Alise, as a, a right winger, there was never a time you could 
receive the ball and not have Robertson engage you straight away. Like all of those things that made made you not believe you could could create chances against Liverpool are are kind of dwindling a bit and and those moments appear now in games which makes us look more human than we've probably ever looked before. So even though it didn't result in goals, I think the big difference was this was a very similar game to the Spurs game before Christmas where we had a fantastic start, we dominated, we looked amazing and then suddenly on the break we our midfield and a lot of players who used to plug holes were nowhere to be seen. So, yeah, that's probably my bigger concern is that in the Champions League, as we get further, if these positions to pick up the ball are still available, better players with better quality are going to exploit that, I think. So, do you guys think that becomes... I say, so, say I say becomes... It sorts itself out a bit more when we get midfielders back into the rotation, Thiago specifically, and Elliot to an extent as well? Um... I think it maybe gives us more control of the game. I still think we do concede silly chances, <laughs> um, regardless, you know what I'm saying, of the midfield and personnel. Um, and I think I guess there's more of a structural issue in terms of kind of maybe our eights are not plugging the same gaps that they used to. Like, like I'm just saying, like, when, especially in the 18, or oh, 18, 19, 19, 20 season, you'll never see guys pick up the ball in the half spaces at, against Liverpool. Like, never. Like, Henderson, Munjalem, those half spaces, shut, shut off. You know what I'm saying? You was either crossing it in or you're getting through our sides, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe getting through a gap, maybe in between the right back and the centre back, something like that. But um, those type of gaps and stuff like that, they're starting to pay. And yeah, it's, it's kind of worrying. So um, I think, yeah, it's, it's more of a structural issue. I think maybe if Thiago's playing, like, especially like maybe after the second half, we get more of the ball, we're able to get out better. Like, what was happening in that second half, which was worrying me, was that when Palace were attacking us, we weren't able to get out, out of our half. And it's like, we're such a big team, like, and we have. Many players of like technical security who can kind of get on the ball and maybe calm things down, but they were kind of all like rushing and maybe it was clearing it and it wasn't sticking, you know what I'm saying? And we weren't able to get out of our heart, our heart properly, so I, I, that was what I was a bit worried about. And like the, the thing is with me is that, and I was telling Mike earlier, like, well, yesterday, is that I expected Palace to kind of come back, you know, so when, when we scored the second goal, like, naturally, every team's going to want to take a break, like. You, you've been absolutely swarming the team for 30 minutes. Naturally, you're gonna gonna have kind of have a down period. Maybe concede one or two chances. Like that's normal. Like Palace are gonna, and especially when you've had quite a big game on the Thursday as well. Yeah. yeah. So Palace were gonna have maybe a good five or ten. Yeah, you know I'm saying dominant spell. But what I didn't like was that in the second half we didn't come out and assert control. It, like second half we have to get on the ball and kind of dictate the game and control the game. But it went the exact same way that it was in the first half. Like, did, like you'd think that Klopp didn't even have a team talk. You know what I'm saying? We didn't, we didn't kill the crowd, right? That, that was no, like, we did it. It, it went the exactly they... same way it was going in the first half. Yeah, and I think their crowd's a very discerning crowd as well. So they actually sense blood. So I think a lot of crowds don't get behind this team in the same way that Palaces do. I think Palaces, they, when they created a few chances to sort of back end of the first half, they became energised. And the start of the second half, they were like right up for it. Yeah. Um, and that's when we struggled big time. That first 50 minutes of the second half, we were just conceding so many big chances. On Peter's point, I have a point on Peter's point because Peter says we concede high quality chances. And I was like, I was doing a dig today, and like our XG per shot conceded. So we like that's in terms of like quality chances you concede is the worst in the league. Jeez. It's worse than Norwich, it's worse than Newcastle, it's worse than all those rubbish teams in the league, basically. Um, I think it's level with Watford. So Liverpool, whenever they concede chances, they are conceding high-level chances, yeah, exactly. as in like clear-cut yeah. chances. 
that is not like what you want to see <laughs> if you want to win a league title, basically. So that's something that needs to be addressed. And as Peter said, I think it's a structural issue. It's it's, it's happened throughout the season, whether we've had Thiago in there or not, whether we've had Elliot, whoever, Jones, whoever it is, Liverpool concede high-quality chances. Um, yeah, that also look, represents, just so positive, that represents how good Alisson is, by the way. Sorry, hmm. I just had to get it in. Yeah. Like, completely agree. You look at his um, shots on target, safe percentage, for, for that game especially as well, it's ridiculous. Like the Conor Gallagher, the Conor Gallagher chance is the best chance in the game. I think the XG of that is like, well, obviously, a non-penalty, non-penalty goal attempt or whatever. Um, I think he's like 0.65. Yeah, that's point blank. And he, and he saves it. I mean, that guy is ridiculous, uh, by the way. Just, well, we'll talk about it a little bit later on, but wow. Yeah, what what a man. Um, but I mean, we we're all told that you know the defense it was indeed watertight and there would be no leakage. <laughs> and what do we see? The boiler's broken. The water's coming through the ceiling a little bit. It's coming through the cracks, man. So I feel like the person who's making these claims should probably start making these claims as well. Hi, Anik. Hope you well, bro. I hope you well. Um, <laughs> um, obviously, we've, kind of, we've touched on the lack of control as well, and we've kind of touched on some of the some of the issues. But do, do you think as well when we get the, obviously the reinforcers back and we get more of a bigger pool and selection of players to pick from, that these things might settle themselves down? Obviously, we've seen when we have had players available, mainly Thiago, uh, we've kind of been able to take the games a lot better not by the scruff of the neck per se, but we'd be able to control them in a more Liverpool fashion. I think um, that, well, this kind of links to what you asked before, Chris. I think a big thing about Thiago and why there's a bit more control in what Pete was saying about where Wijnaldum used to occupy. I think if you look at an average heat map of where Thiago plays, it's very similar to, in terms of area where you operate, it's very similar to Wijnaldum. So I'm not even going to claim that Thiago is an exceptional athlete or anything. It just happens that the position where he likes to sit and operate in is a place which isn't too vertical. So when you're playing your Oxes, your Hendos, even your Joneses, they're very up and down the pitch. Whereas Thiago isn't an insane athlete who's going to be doing that. So by default, it probably makes it a bit more settled on at least one side of Fabinho. So I think I think I'm looking forward to that coming. I think. Harvey Elliott is is just a better player in that channel where Henderson currently operates than Jordan Henderson. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, that can just yeah, be the case. There will, there will be times, I think, you know what it's like, Chris. We have a fan base that if you say a certain player might be more useful for a particular game, it's like you're saying everyone else is rubbish. It's not that. Yeah. There will be... There will be Elliot games and there will be Hendo games. That 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 position is is, is a right winger position. But yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Elliot is a right winger, so naturally you're underlapping and overlapping, right? Yeah, and maybe just maybe the 31 year old who should probably be playing one game a week and big games probably shouldn't be doing that week in week out because you can see from now the performances oh. are dropped and his legs look absolutely cooked. Oh, you mean that that player who's been played by injury for over three years? Yeah, yeah. that sounds quite logical. Yeah, it does. That guy. So. Yeah, and that's a valid criticism as well. I mean, we love the guy, we love what he's done, but he should be what's the words I'm looking for here? Put into a reduced role where he's more effective Taze, in the big game. Yeah, the team. Isn't it? Yeah, that's that's really yeah. We shouldn't be over reliant on him. I think, and that's what we are now in terms of not having a lot of midfielders and Henderson having to play a lot of games. But what your point? I would. 
what I'm looking forward to most, I would say, is playing a lot of games. I think we really need to like just have a good run of solid games, maybe two a week, and that's where we that's where our best form comes, guys. Like when we're able to play loads of games in the space, like that's generally when I like when we're when we're playing the Champions League game on a Wednesday, then a Premier League game on a Saturday, then like we're, you know, we're, a, rhythm, we're a rhythm team, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. breaks never team, help so. us. It's not helping us having one game postponed and playing this game. They're not one game. It's like we need to kind of get in the run of playing games again. Players getting rhythm, you know what I'm saying? Players kind of, you know what I'm saying, coming in, chopping in and stuff. So when we're able to play, get a rhythm and play loads of games, I think we'll, we'll do better that way. You know what I'm saying? I think our best run maybe was like October, November, October. And that's that's when we, we was playing loads of games, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, the games are coming thick and fast and we're doing really uh, well. And I think another big thing is being able to pick players games so what's happened now is we haven't we're forced to play particular players because there are no other options i think henderson probably would have been rested for a few of the games we've had in recent weeks but he hasn't been able to be rested because we have very few options so actually being able to look at your midfield options would be like okay we're going to give elliot this game because he's he best suits the opposition we're playing and we're going to give jones this game because he best suits the opposition so being able to pick games for players um just utilizing the squad to, to, to kind of it's, it's kind of fullest is what i'm looking forward to the most for this upcoming period no, completely agree. We'll talk about more about the Crystal Palace match and specific players after these commercial messages. And we're back. Um, I, I, we've got to touch on it because every time that Liverpool are under a little bit of, under the cosh a little bit, it's it's the one thing that Carragher likes to pull out of his. Uh, he's all reliable, really. He's like me with the one Mike Uchiwale. He's like you know, it's cash money every single time whenever it's in the game. Um, Jamie Carragher's obsession with Liverpool playing a high line. Where do we think this is based out of, by the way? Because I kind of think it's from a place of envy, knowing that... Because the guy can't play him. If he tried to play it, he would die, bruv. He would actually <laughs> die. That's, 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 that's why he hates it so much. He knows that he could never, in his best days, ever try and play that. So he he's so envious that, he, that we have defenders that can play it. But anyway, hey. Sorry, sorry, I was thinking that I was thinking that video where he's goes, "You are breathing heavy like a dog." That would have been Caro trying to play this high line. Imagine him having to flog back up and down. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ! He, hey, he's able to be killed. He's been retired by twenty. Of passion or desire can help him play that. Say <laughs> <laughs> <Try> that now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's also because he's from obviously he's very much from the Julier and Benitez school of low block. This is how we do games. This is how we go away in Europe, and this is how we play football. Uh, which definitely feeds into it. But I I, I don't know whether he, he just thinks that it's some weird structural issue at Liverpool that they because they play a higher line, they just concede these chances. But we can all see it's not just because of that. I also don't like the way the high line is discussed in isolation. So people just talk about the high line as if the high line doesn't literally shape the way we play in terms of pressing. So Liverpool can't press as aggressively as they do if they don't play a high line. So I don't get why that's not discussed like together. Those two things yeah. aren't, you know isolated things that just happen. Um, and yeah, like there's a reason we signed the particular players that we signed. There's a reason Allison is a goalkeeper who sweeps so aggressively because we played this high line. So my big, the big thing with Carragher just discussing all the time, just like make, like think about why Liverpool played this high line and why they've done it for the last few years. And also it works. Liverpool have caught players offside more than any other team in the, in the league by like some distance as well. I think the problem with the high line sometimes is that it gives teams encouragement, and, that, and I'm trying to explain what I mean by this, because sometimes the, the with the new like rule with the offside rule, I don't know if it's a new rule or not, actually, but like the play goes on, 
So sometimes I think there's a Mateta shot where Allison makes an unreal save, but and he's literally miles offside. But he's miles offside. But, but the thing is, that gives the crowd encouragement because when you're on the ground, you're thinking, "Oh, that was close." Because you don't you don't get to see a replay when you're on the ground. You see the shot that got saved, and you're thinking, "Oh, that's close," and he gets yeah. the encouragement. So I actually think we the players maybe get a bit worried about that as well, but. Liverpool, the high line generally operates well. Like, it generally operates well, and it means we can press well and actually control games the way we do sometimes. So, I'm just looking at FB ref now. Liverpool have caught opponents offside 90 times this season. Yeah. The second, the second most amount is 49, which is joint between Brentford and Wow, that's, that's, that's not fair. If that, what more proof could you ask for? And I think Mike makes a great point. I think we had this under Rafa, right? Do you remember when Rafa used to do um, zonal market for corners, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Liverpool used to always have like one of the best defenses in the league, but they concede like one corner in the season. And, and that's that's market. Yeah, Andy, Andy Gray knows ones. Andy Gray back yeah. then was like, minute analysis on why Liverpool should not be doing zonal anymore. Like, we'd only concede 20 goals all season, but that would be the analysis. Uh, and that's and that's why him and Richard Keyes have been exiled to the land of Dubai to talk about football. <laughs> Obviously, that's not the reason, but it, it's part of the reason. The thing is, with the, the high line is that it's like. Again, like what Mike said is so true. They they just focus on that one like mistake. Well, there's so many components of it. Like you said, it helps the team to press. And also, like when a high line goes wrong, it's not because of the high line. There's other stuff. So it's like what well, firstly, was there pressure on the ball? When when a person played the ball, was there pressure on the ball? That's the whole point of the high line. If the person's able to kind of have their, you know what I'm saying, able to kind of go shop, have a meal, and then pick a pass, that's probably the main reason why you're conceding it. And then also, okay, so when the person is able to make the pass, is the centre-back following the runner from deep, you know what I'm saying, or is he trying to play him offside? That's another decision. And then that second goal, what you see is that Van Dijk kind of freezes and he's not kind of sure what square to... Square on as well. Yeah, he's square on, his body shape's all wrong, he's not sure whether to... Um, he tries to kind of, yeah, play Mateta offside, but he's ready too late, you know what I'm saying, Mateta's ready off. So by that time, he should follow Mateta and kind of... Um, follow his run and kind of block it off um, Edward, so force him to make a decision, but he does neither. So then that's how the goal comes. It's not because of the Highland. You know what I'm saying? He implemented it wrong and we didn't have pressure on the ball. So that's the main cause of the goal. It's not the Highland. And the Highland, you know what I'm saying? The Highland is a cornerstone of how we play. It's given us so much success. So to now say after we've won a Premier League, after we won a Champions League, that's the pro- that's that's the root of our problems. It's such lazy analysis, such lazy analysis. And 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 I think the the other thing is the best way to summarize it would be, it's being brandished as Liverpool are suffering because of the high line. When it, what should it actually be is Liverpool are misusing a previously very successful high line. I think that yeah, that's the and and if anything, even that's untrue because Chris, you've just said we've we've we're double doubly successful than any other defensive line in actual in our actual structure so yeah people need to ease up man I think we've seen this so much with Liverpool now like Jurgen Klopp has arrived he does things differently to everyone else he doesn't play any any technical midfielders so now he doesn't know what he's doing in midfield he plays with a striker who doesn't score enough goals so he doesn't know how to use strikers he uses a right back to create who doesn't defend well so he doesn't know like it's always Klopp because he does something differently and he pioneers it instead of celebrating the pioneering it's all about oh you're disrupting how we see the fabric of football yeah 100 percent 
I mean, we even think about it. I, it's literally the ultimate high risk, high reward thing. But it's like we said about as well, pressure on the ball. Do you guys think the midfield needs to be a lot more culpable in cutting off these passing lanes so Freddie Balls can't be put through? 100%. The Jeffs look. The, the the second the goal that Palace score is egregious. What happens in midfield? It's egregious. I watched it back and I was like, I have to rewind that. You know, I did the Jamie Carragher on Monday Night Football, like, pausing it, all that sort of thing. <laughs> Honestly, bro, I was shocked. Stop it. Jeff Schlupp takes there, there, there. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Schlupp takes about fifteen touches, gets him, gets his head up, can pick a pass under no pressure. And, and I was staggered there as well because Matip, he's the one that has to follow him because midfielders are just there watching. Hennessy's is just there chilling. Matip follows him, and I think Matip kind of just has to take him out there, even though he tries his best to, but he literally has to just go clatter him, go through him, and somehow um, Schlupp is able to kind of. Pick out the pass to who is it, Edward or something? Uh, Matip plays in Mateta, I think. And Mateta yeah, plays yeah. In Mateta, and Mateta. It's, it's actually, a, to be fair, it's, it's a really good goal, but it's one of those ones where I, watched it, I watched it back. I did the same as Mike. You know, when Farhi does his little breakdown of, of, of Matip and you know what he should do better, I was there thinking, Clare him, he's got to just clear him. He, might, he might be on that, you know, he might be quite right there, but. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, but that's a big holder. How's Mateta able to pick up the. The mid ball like that in central like central midfield and just pick out a pass again. Lot yeah, not no, but Pete, Pete, it wasn't just that, it was just that that was just like the final nail in yeah. those that those slide balls that you could just roll in behind our defense and get in again and again. I was honestly watching, like, what the hell is going on? Because yeah. it is not taking it's not taking flipping Mesa Ozo at his prime to see these passes. We're talking about Jeffrey Schluck here. Who's, who's able to rip our defence to shreds. So, yeah, it's, it's proper worrying, man. I, I don't want it to ruin my optimism, but I still can't work out how some of these crap Palace players were able to rip us so easily. It definitely, it definitely is an odd one. Uh, it's like you said, Mosh, it's not it's not as Ozil, it's Jeffrey Schlupp. It's Schlupp. What are we doing? It's Schlupp. Um, yeah. Um, and Schlupp is one of those players where you think, uh, that, that, that's a Chris player. It's not a Chris player. <laughs> um, I want to talk about Ox because I think in these past two games that he has been featured, Brentford and, and Palace, he's had to do understudy to obviously Mohamed Salah. And I think he's, in a weird way, he's done a very, obviously, he's got two goals from it, so he's done a very good job of doing the understudy role to Mohamed Salah. But I think some of the positioning, the off the ball work, and a lot of the mimicking runs, he's done quite well. That replicate what Salah brings to the team. Like we said, like I said a few weeks ago, the, the goal against Brentford is very reminiscent of what something Mohamed Salah would score. And obviously he gets a very well, good, well-taken goal uh, against Palace as well. I think we're all in agreement that this season for him might be his last at Liverpool. But my word, if he's going to be his last season as a Liverpool player, he's going down with a fight. What did you think? What have you thought of his performances as being one of the lead players to kind of really stand up and take a bit of a bit of a lead whilst the uh, whilst the lads have been on international duty? I mean, I I personally think why Ox is doing well is because when he plays in the middle, he has to think too much. I'm sorry to narrow it down. Thank you. I'm, I'm sorry to narrow it down to this Thank lady. You. To lazy, this lazy 2012 analysis of Ox, but I'm sorry, he's the same guy, okay? When he's playing in the middle, my man doesn't know how to turn, to pass, to wait a pass, where to run. He doesn't do any of that. I, Ox has natural ability, right? Let him run, 
Let him just go where he needs to be and be the final touch or pass in the move. I don't want to see Ox developing build-up. I know where Ox can be good. <laughs> Do what you are good at, man. And I'm fine with that. I am fine with Ox having 10% of the touches that he would have in a usual game, but actually contribute more. So I think it's working for everyone. <laughs> Goodness me. Hey, I think that, that, that Mushka, he's smitten. <laughs> he, he's smitten. Mushka, he's probably right. Listen, you don't, want, you don't want Ox having a high volume of touches in the game in terms of, like, receiving it and dictating. I think he's been good. He's been on the end of moves, to be fair. Like, really good. You just, I think, in the front three, he's able to, like Mushka said, he's able to run around and do the chaos ball up there, further forward, you know what I'm saying? And you don't want, again, you don't, our midfield... Some feels I set up for that. Some feels you, you, you're able to kind of take risk and it doesn't kind of backfire too much. But in our midfield, it, it backfires because we play such a high line. And once you lose, lose the, you know, once you, once you lose possession, a lot of our players are forward, so it plays a lot of pressure and people are able to counter us really quickly. But with Ox, he's such a powerful runner and he can run from deep. So when he's running from deep, you're able to find him with crosses and stuff like that. So he's able to stretch play as well. He's actually, you know what I'm saying? With these runs from deep... He's, he's got he good goal scoring instincts as well. He's got really yeah. good goals. I've always thought that, like, of our midfielders, whoever... If, if he gets a good run against the midfield, I know, like, people don't want to see him there, but he will kind of score goals. And I think he's yeah. kind of got those goal instincts when he plays up front as well. In the front and you see how none of the stuff you guys are saying are to do with touch, to do with awareness, to do with link-up. Nothing. It's nothing to do with that. Ox has these weird, like, great fundamentals where, like, you know when Jim, Jimmy Bullard does his, you know, the drill where you have to do like ten laid, ten right, laid he's so good at it. Yeah, yeah he's, he's sick at that. He, he, he would be top tier at those drills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's amazing at that. But, but none of that is to do with the complexities of playing in midfield. So, and also keep... another point is that I don't think there's anyone comfortable in them right hand spaces as much as obviously Salah and the next. I would say it's probably Ox. Because no one else plays right wing. No, Ox, Ox has played right wing for the majority of his career. He played right wing at Arsenal for a long time. Played right wing back. So you have Minamino, um, Jota. These people, they don't really like the right-hand space too much. They don't like playing right wing. They're not as comfortable there. Ox is probably the second most comfortable there, apart from Salah and Elliot. So, yeah, might as well play him there. Make him be an understudy and grab some goals from here and there. You know what I'm saying? Why not? He's done well, though. He's done really well to chip in with goals. And really, um, kind of help with the obviously selling money being out. So I'm really happy with him. Happy for being young, you know. What I'm saying Joe as well, picking up form as well. Happy with them. Just checked uh, how many touches that Ox had in that game. By the way, uh, Allison had more. So there might be something to this theory. Thank you, thank you. How many did Taki have, by the way? Uh, he Negative had numbers. Four. <laughs> Jesus, four touches he's Lord. Who's oh, man? Who is this man? he might be a coward. He actually might be a coward. I'm sorry. He might just be a coward. I, I, I thought maybe I just had to double check. I thought four touches. Like, what, five minutes. He was on for thirty-one minutes. One of them. On, one yeah. of them kick off. You listen. Do you know? Do you know what Taki is? Taki is. You know when your little brother wants to play PlayStation, you just give him a controller just for the lot. <laughs> you've paused it. You've paused it. Everyone else has got a controller, and you've given him the remote, and he's just clicking stuff, thinking he's playing. That's what Taki is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? Coming on in that time, yeah, that must have been a nightmare for him because, boy, well, you know what I'm saying the crowd is on top of us. Palace are having a dominant spell. No, you could barely hear him speak, so I can't imagine him calling for the ball. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Imagine Taki trying to call for the ball when we're under the cost. Like, 
Hey, <laughs> man, he's, the thing is, he's actually a good player. And he's got some. He's got. He's really tidy, and he's, he's quite a good finisher as well. I just with Taki, you just want to see some more personality. Like, show me something, lad. Like, just show me he's a just, bit more personality. He's, he's ultimately not a player that fits the system, and I think personality-wise, he probably lacks that that little something. That he's not a prick player, enough. That's what it is. He's not enough of a prick <laughs> to play for Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, basically, he's like, basically a, he's like a weird polar opposite of Divock, whereas Divock is a bit too laid back, but Taki is like. Not laid yeah, back, he's material. backs himself. That's the big thing. I don't yeah, think Taki backs, backs himself. himself. Yeah, he's a bit like Chris doubts himself. because Taki is like hyper conscious. He's like, so does, hyper -conscious, does, every, yeah. does everyone like me? Does anyone want to pass to me? <laughs> <laughs> do, you think, do you think if I shoot, will everyone mind? Like, <laughs> so what you saying, yeah. So what you saying, much that Taki needs to be on Euphoria? Yeah, okay. Yeah, trembling next to Zendaya or something. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you uh, I don't know, um, man. I, I, he's got some good touches. I think there's talent there. Just, he just needs more of a personality. That's what I'm going to say. I know I have talent. <laughs> Boy, yeah, um, I, this, it's the weird one because we've been saying it. We've been saying it for like what, nearly two years now. No one's a player in there at some point, but at some point there's going to have to be a player that kind of finds that true potential. And he's, you know, he's, he's real self at possibly another football club. But yeah, you know, just is what it is, really, man. By the way, we found out where Divock is, by the way. I'm, I'm thankful for the, everyone who added me and tagged me and stuff. To, you know, when we found where's Divock, we did find where Divock was. He was doing a photo shoot where he was wearing all green. So that was quite interesting. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the welly boots he had on. Bloody hell. I don't know, I don't know where he sourced them from. Um, shoe zone or something. Something mad like that. Um, yeah, speaking of the Palace crowd, by the way, that you could tell that that Cristian Ball muscle memory popped back in, didn't they? They're right bastards. That is honestly massive wankers. But um, they, they did make my afternoon when they kept shouting, "Who's the scouser in the black? Who's in the black?" But the scouser in the black was Alison Becker, and fucking hell, did he put on an absolute show? Uh, um, what a player! What a player! And the thing is, what I don't like here. Sorry. To Everyone will act like they didn't watch this game. They didn't see this. Okay, so when they, when we now start ranking goalkeepers, Bro. They, will, they will put Ramsdale ahead of him. Somehow. Brother, <laughs> Somehow. I'm not putting Ramsdale anything after that goal he let from Jota. The first Somehow one. people will still <laughs> rank Ramsdale, the gay, like all these people ahead of him. You literally saw Alisson pull a madness and people will just act like they didn't see it because that's his standards now. That, that's what he should be doing. You know what I'm saying? That, that's what he's been doing for the last three, four years kind of thing. I think so. the thing with Alisson as well is he makes the... Like sublime looks so effortless. He's just so like everything's just like you know. I was saying on the post match pod, like the hair will make a save and do about fifty front flips to make sure that everyone saw it. Yeah. Alison will just clutch one out of the air, catch it or something, and just make it look casual. Just start a counter attack or something like that. He's just so effortless. I think the save for the back kill is outrageous. So good. So How on earth does he anticipate that? Like that that in many other many other cases is a goal. It's a straight yeah. goal back kill there goal. He anticipates it. Gets down quickly and makes the save. He doesn't even touch it. He catches it. He catches the. I, I think <laughs> this thing you guys are saying is exactly why, for me, you've just used the example of De Gea, right? But I think this is why he's the level above, because I think De Gea is class when it comes to position himself. Hence, why he saves so much of his feet. Allison is the next level above because that save he will catch and hold. Yeah, and that, that, that's the next level up. Do you get what I mean? And and that yeah. for me is is why Allison. <laughs> No, no one even realizes a shot will be smashed at him. Other keepers will logically just punch it over or, or, or pat it out for a corner. He'll catch it and start a counter attack. 
But because Liverpool have done something on the counter-attack, the fact that Alisson did some exceptional keeping to start that move, it just gets lost in, in, in all of that. And, and there's so much of that with Alisson that, that just goes unnoticed, that unless you genuinely watch him every week, you and, and then you compare him to the other keepers you watch. I feel like I rate Alisson more when I see what else is out there in the league. I'm like, yo, yeah. we have... We have yeah. Bro, we ask of so we ask so much of him because, like we said earlier, we concede high quality chances. So you look at the xG for this game. Palace's xG is higher than ours. Yeah, their 2. xG 2. is two point two, and ours is one point seven. So 7, they create yeah. loads of high quality chances. And the reason it's it scores three one to Liverpool is because Allison is making fantastic saves. So, bro, honestly, we have the best goalkeeper in the world. Like, and I think honestly, when you look at like there are some good goalkeepers in the league, Edison, Mendy. I think he's he's head and shoulders above those those players, and that says a lot about him. I'm just checking his stats again now. So he has five shots on targets at him, and his post shot the post shot expected goals is three point three. Like, Mad. that's insane. That's the insane. guy, the guy, is something else, man. The reflexes, uh, just, bro. I, I don't know what he's doing. What they're doing at, at at Kirkby at the moment at the AXA with, with the goalkeepers has got to be really applauded because yeah, really so we, we've seen Kelleher this season. When he's needs to step up, he's really stepped up and he's looked very capable. His development's come a long way. So you've got to give it to Axel Bird, you've got to give it to Tafarel uh, since he's coming as well. The, the, the keepers look very, very good. And after we went through periods where we were actually calling for Axel Bird to be possibly not crucified, but you know, flogged like Colonel Gaddafi at some point um, for what the development was with goalkeepers, it's, it's quite the turnaround, it has to be said. And I mean, when we talk about best goalkeepers in the world, and I always thought I thought it was funny, like kind of during this week as well, the United fans were kind of sharing a graphic where it was um, De Gea has more kind of saves than Allison, and United fans were like, oh yeah, yeah, look at De Gea, he's fantastic. And then you know, it, it takes any former person who's not a simpleton to look at that graph and say, well, hang on a minute, that's not good. That's not good. That's not good at all. You know what I mean? You should, keepers should be saving less chances, but yeah, I think we have got this kind of thing where he's behavior and what he does is so normalized because he does it so well in such a high level of efficiency week in week out i mean i absolutely love the guy i love him to bits yeah for sure <clears throat> another person i actually wanted to kind of give praise to i really liked his performance um was robertson i thought robertson was was really good he's on, wicked form. He's on that, like, wicked form. first 35 minutes that guy was in beast mode Honestly, that first thirty minutes, like he was just up and down, up and down consistently. He's putting that that cross to um Chamberlain was was unreal. Like that's that's unreal. Like couldn't be weighed <laughs> any more perfectly. But it's just he's kind of his energy and desire. He literally sustains our attack, and he's able to constantly keep that left hand side going, going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Up and down. Like it's just an absolute terror. And whilst I think Elisa does have a good game. I think Robertson deals quite well with Elisa, you know. There's not really much you can do when someone's that skillful and that someone's that um in terms of being silky on the ball and he gets the ball in their positions. The gap between him and Van Dijk wasn't great. But what he done in terms of Elise, I think I think he dealt quite well with him. You know what I'm saying? Elise, yeah, he had a one or two chances, but Elise was actually drifting all over the pitch. Elise gets yeah, that chance. Wait, kind of, yeah. Elise, yeah, Elise is a he's a talent as well. It happens. Yeah, yeah. You get done by a piece of skill by a ta- a player who's got abundant talent. It happens. It happens. Yeah, and that 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 chip that he tried to do Elise uh, Alisson from was actually from the right hand side. So we're again of Elise. He's literally drifting to wherever the ball is because obviously he's probably Palace's best player on the day. So he wants to get on the ball. And I think Robertson dealt with him quite well. So, yeah, big up Robertson. I think that break he um, got <coughs> from Shimkas playing and obviously getting a red card has really kind of woke him up. And, yeah, he's doing really well. So, big up big up to Robertson. I, I think the big thing that 
Robertson is such an easy player to monitor whether he's on form or not. Because you, all you need to spot is two things. First thing is, is he always available, overlapping? Firstly, that shows he's fit. He's, he's aware of when chances are coming. And the yeah. other one, which is so simple with Robertson, is when he's on form, the delivery is A1. Even yeah, now, yeah, when yeah, roll, yeah. Right, at the moment, he's rolling it out his feet. And you are literally, you're not looking at whether Robertson will cross it properly. You're, you're, looking, at looking, in the box. you're looking in the box. You're yeah, looking yeah, in the box. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Where's Jota? Where's, uh, where's Ox? Because Robertson's going to find the angle here. And you know where it's going to arc to. So Thanks. credit to Robertson that he's, he's come into this level of expectation now. And I think it benefits the team in both ways. When you're playing well, you make the forwards run. And when your forwards believe that you're playing well, they're going to make more runs than they usually would. So it dovetails really well as a team. I think think another thing is our patterns of play are getting Robertson in more. So I think at the start of the season, I don't think we'll we'll switch in players quickly or as as often as we did, like, in our kind of our best. I think our best in 1920, we often see, like, Trent switching those diags out to Robertson. And you see Robertson kind of maybe have, like, a 2v1 um, situation with him Mm -hmm. and maybe... And I think you saw a lot of that with like maybe like it would be Robertson and Jones, Robertson and and Jota against Palace. You kind of see switches of play, and I think the second goal is actually where Robertson has like space to kind of go into after a switch of play from from Jota. So I think also we've actually seen like kind of maybe little t- tactical switches or maybe little things we're doing now that have got Robertson in more and actually kind of getting him more involved in games because I think Trent kind of has been our dominant fullback from an attacking point of view, partly because we've allowed him to kind of run games more. And I think we haven't really got Robertson in games as much as I would like from an attacking point of view. So I think over the last 10 games, we have actually seen like more of that. You know so. what? Yeah. I don't think it's a tactical so, yeah. tweak from what I think it's because Robertson's delivery was kind of unreliable. And Bro, no, he... I'm talking about those little switches though. Like I didn't, we, we saw like in the Palace game, like Van Dyke constantly switching out to Robertson. That wasn't really, a fe- that's been less of a feature of our play this season than it has been in the past, I think. But I feel so like we were actively looking going... for Robertson. I hear you, I hear you, but I think we was going through Trent so much because it felt like Trent was the main guy to create and Robertson's delivery was really unreliable. But now what you're seeing is like, okay, Chamberlain's like, okay, yeah, make sure, like, I know you're going to hit that back post, so I'm going to run there, so you know what I'm saying? And I feel like, especially at the beginning of the season, Robertson's delivery was really unreliable, so the forwards maybe stopped making those runs as much, you know what I'm saying? But when Trent had a ball, every man was running, you know what I'm saying? But now when Robertson's got the ball, it's like all these guys are running. I don't know, It's John's probably on his side probably helps as well. Because then you're having a, a kind of a ball heavy player, kind of you have a player who you can also you can also do overloads with, um, and you can't do that with that. Let's say let's say a Milner, you know what I'm saying? So I think Jones on that side really helps as well. But yeah, um, yeah, Robertson, fantastic. Pete, Pete, I think also one one big thing is that in football, tactically you can't develop everything at once. So the evolution we saw in we've seen in Trent this season, where he's occupying that right back slot and overlapping out wide less and less and it's all about coming inside he's we we evolved Trent first and Robertson got a bit left behind in terms of how to how we were going to utilize him and I think now tactically we found a marriage of both of how we're going to use this new way of using Trent but also getting the most out of Robertson and Robertson was probably just playing catch up on the training ground because we were seeing if the Trent thing could work properly first right Mm. Just after the sending off against Spurs as well, that did in the world of good. Um, having that little bit of a break and mm. then being reintroduced back in the team because the, ever since he's come back, the delivery has been fantastic. His positioning, I think, from a defensive point of view as well, has been absolutely spot on, like we talked about earlier. It's not a ball that, you know, one of the reasons 
people were kind of beating that high line was because of uh, Robertson's positioning. So I think he's positioned himself a little bit further forward. So that line is being held by the two centre-backs too. And boy, I mean, his delivery for the second goal, he's just peach. just absolutely superb. Puts it on a sixpence. And, and, and his corner didn't hit the first man. Wait. Oh, it's, like <laughs> it's like they heard the valid criticisms that we had. And they were like, you know what? That Chris guy, go fuck himself. We're scoring set pieces now. He's going to do it from but do you know what I want to do? Yeah, I'll, can I, okay, Chris? Come out your permission. Can I do a little monologue on Curtis Jones? Eh? Bro, you ever got asked my you permission know, for nothing? You, you take the center stage, brother. The toxic caca, as as some people like to call him. He's, you know what Curtis Jones is doing? Curtis Jones is doing a world tour of you guys, you guys, little star boys. You know the guys that you hold in such high esteem. Curtis Jones, Curtis Jones is doing that. You know what I'm saying? He's spinning the block on all of your star boys because, again, against Arsenal. Was hearing about these star boys, you know. I, I I like God's child, you know. God's child, good player. Don't get me wrong. Good, good guy. you, good you, good you. That's you know, the A stars. Yeah, good you from a good home. Good <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Good, good you. But when they come across this nasty, this little, yeah, you know I'm saying little scumbag Curtis Jones, he, he didn't want it. You know what I'm saying? These these Smith Rolls, Smith Smith. No, most you talk about Smith Rowe because hey, oh. that hooked. We talk, we talking about Croydon Kalu, the one who comes <laughs> <up>. <laughs> something like that. But impact sub, man like impact sub, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you carry on, brother. Don't worry, they know. But yeah, again, when we played against Arsenal, though, in all seriousness, yeah, I'm saying you had um, Smith Rowe, Saka on the pitch, and it was Curtis Jones that was on the ball constantly. He was on the ball, give me the ball, I'm gonna make something happen. Yeah, I'm saying he got on the ball, you know, what I'm saying, um, done a lot of interchanges with um, Robertson, done a lot of interchanges with Jota, and he was just constantly driving the team. He was, I think, he was on the ball a lot more than Henderson, you know, what I'm saying and he had a really, really good game. and what you kind of associate with these star boys like Sack and Smith Rowe, they have a lot of the quality and they're like the ones to watch. But Curtis Jones is right in that bracket. And it's just because we don't see him as much and he doesn't really have the platform to play every single week. I think people underrate him. But his talent is is a lot. You know what I'm saying? His talent is, is great. And again, against um, Crystal Palace, especially in that first half, he's playing against Gallagher. And Gallagher's had a fantastic season. Don't get me wrong. Super, superb season. But Curtis Jones, he's just got a lot more on the ball. Whilst I think... Gallagher is a great runner and he arrives late and he's a good finisher. When it comes to being on the ball and when it comes to probing, really, when it comes to you know I'm saying, beating a man, picking out a pass, Jones is better, man. He's got more quality than Gallagher. And I think Jones is a great player and he really shouldn't be um, under, underrated or kind of be held in low esteem when it comes to these star boys because he's, he's really right among them. And if he was to play for a team maybe lower in the division, playing week in, week out, you'd see it. But it's only because he plays for Liverpool and he doesn't start every game that people are underrating them. But yeah, big, big talent. And and do you know what? Um, the I don't know if you guys all agree with this, but I think exactly what you said, Pete, about what he's best at, which is give me the ball, let me use my feet, my agility, my ability to carry us up the pitch with the ball at feet. I yeah. think, honestly, I think he should have a paper and pen and a notepad out and exactly what Kovacic is doing at Chelsea, he should be watching Kovacic with his life. Because I think, I I can't say that he will, he might not be as good as Kovacic, which is not an insult. I think Kovacic, at what he does, is incredible. But I think, yeah, at, at what Chelsea kind of squeeze out of Kovacic, we should be doing that because he's the perfect left, right-footed player on the left side of a midfield three player for that exact yeah. In terms of being press resistant, there's no one better than Kovacic. Like, you really cannot press. Like, you could press. We tried to press Kovacic with our lives, and you literally can't get a ball off him. Like, he's literally, like, you know what I'm saying, left foot, right foot, gets out of any, like, any sort of, you know what I'm saying, pressure. And what Jones even has over him is that Jones is probably better in the final third. 
So mm. Jones has that little bit of stardust where he can cut in on his right foot. Maybe he used to play because he obviously used to play left wing, but he has that star stardust in the final third where he probably score goals and get assists. So yeah, I think that's the edge he has over players like Smith Rowe and, and Gallagher. To be honest, I think those players are sort of players that affect games in the final third. But I think Jones is actually someone that can affect games in all kind of, in all kind of phases. Really, I think yeah, he's exactly. someone that can kind of receive off the centre backs, maybe start a play if you want. He can kind of you know really kind of dictate games as well. And I think in the final third, we know he's got ability there because we know that when he's coming through the youth teams at Liverpool, we know how many goals he's scored. So I actually think what's going to happen is it's, it's going to be like Jones will eventually start scoring a few more goals and people start taking notice of him then. But we all see what he does. And yeah. I think I think another thing is Liverpool midfielders just get generally underrated because they're like kind of cogs in the system and they kind of do a lot of the like unspectacular jobs maybe um, that we we notice obviously because we watch Liverpool every, every week, every every game we're watching, right? And we're kind of micro-analysing. If you watch Liverpool like once a week or like you know whenever they play a big game, we might be eulogising about the stuff Jones is doing, but then other fans have seen like what's the, what's the hype? He just does like a few nice touches here and there. So, yeah, once he starts scoring goals, I'm sure people jump on the bandwagon and say how much he, how good a player he is. Sleep on the toxic Randy Orton at your own risk. Um, <laughs> is Trent Alexander Arnold redefining the right path position? You'll find out after these commercial messages. And we're back. We have to talk about one man before we do talk about the penalty. One man and one man only who, like I said before, is he redefining the right back position? Is he making kids want to play play ball from right back and do all these lovely, uh, you know, fantastic passes and just, just be just be all around fantastic? Trent Alexander Arnold this season is on another level. He manages to find another gear, another level to go beyond year in, year out. And what we're seeing is some of the finest football you will ever see from a young footballer. It's crazy to think that he's not even hit what he's close to his peak at the moment and he's delivering this. Michael, come to you first. Obviously, what we're seeing from Trent is just not normal. It's alien. It's literally, it's from the stars. It is literal brilliance from a star boy himself. Talk me through what you are seeing from Curtis Jones. Curtis Jones, that's another star boy we've got. What you're seeing from Trent Alexander-Arnold this season. I think he's gone up a level. I think we honestly have the best creator in the world in terms of kind of playmakers. I think De Bruyne's kind of gone down a level, but he's still obviously a top, top player, but I don't think he's at the level he was a few years ago. Obviously, Messi's kind of like, unfortunately, slowly declining at PSG. And I think in Trent, we just have the kind of best creative player in the world. And I think even defensively, he's improved. So I think we often, I think football fans have quite, generally speaking, have like quite a narrow understanding of what it is to be a defender. So we often focus on the kind of back foot defending, the kind of 1v1 defending. I think that side of Trent's game has actually improved slightly, but actually I think Trent's a phenomenal front foot defender. I think he, we see time and time again how quick he is to intercept the ball, how good he is at pressing, kind of nipping the ball in front of forwards. It's happened twice in a week, really, like, and it's led to goals for Liverpool. So it happened against Arsenal in the League Cup where he intercepts the ball and he pings it over to Jota effortlessly and obviously Jota scores a goal. And it happened again midweek, same two players combining. So I think Trent intercepts a pass from Tarek for Mitchell and pings this ridiculous ball over to, to Jota. Um, and we obviously get a penalty after that. So I just remember seeing a player operate at the peak of his powers. And often like we see Trent compared to like other players like Reese James and Cancelo because they all play right back. But I'm just not sure how useful those comparisons are because we need to look at Trent and the role he, he, the role he performs for Liverpool as opposed to the position he plays. And Trent is Liverpool's main creative outlook. He's been given a, a role this season where he's been able to drift inside and actually dictate games more have a high volume of touches in central areas. 
um, and just kind of go, raise his game to another level. So actually, when I look at Trent, I don't look at him as a right back. I look at him as like Liverpool's kind of creative outlet. And when he's at his best, more often than not, Liverpool are at their best. And I actually think against Palace, it's probably the most reserved he's been in this kind of run of games we've had. But even then, he still affects the game, um, obviously, with a pass for Jota, Jota's and sort of Jota winning the penalty. So, yeah, just honestly, like, I think we are watching one of the kind of top 10 players in the world right now in terms of current form and maybe in terms of just in general now because he's gone up another level. And honestly, I think there's more to come from him as well because he does strike me as someone who's incredibly driven, incredibly hungry to kind of get the best out of his ability and kind of maximise his ability. So, yeah, happy days, but also I think his doubt is also kind of clutching at straws at this point because he's just a just a phenomenal player. Before I cut to mush, I want to read a stat that I saw earlier on. Um, it's probably yesterday. There's 50 Premier League players who have four progressive passes from open play per 90 minutes. There's 21 players who have five. There's five players who have six. There's two players who have seven. No players have eight, nine, or ten. And then there's Trent Alexander-Arnold, who has 11 progressive passes from open play per 90 minutes. Legal. Come on, man. It's, it's ridiculous. And Chris, the first thing I need to pull you up on is that you said kids are dreaming to play how Trent Alexander-Arnold plays. Chris, I'm 31 years old and I'm trying to be Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> Every Saturday, Peter watches me, covering me when I can't run back because I want to replicate what he's producing on this pitch, yeah? So, ultimately, Trent is having an effect on, on everyone he's watching at the moment. And, and it's like Mike said, like, debates and all of that stuff, they're finished now. Rival fans don't even bother. And, and it just took them long enough to... All the players they put forward to say he was, you know, were better than... They're just not. But I think taking it away from even rivalries, I think the biggest thing I love about watching Trent Alexander-Arnold play at the moment is that... The thing we love about football and the reason why we watch professional football ahead of even playing football is you want to see players do or see things that you can't do yourself. And I think what I love watching about Trent is knowing that I, I, I just can't do that. I can't deliver a ball like that. I can't, I can't fizzle as well as that. Like, it's just... Are you sure, Mosh? You gave me some good assists this oh, season. <laughs> You know, finally, finally, you read in the script, Pete. Mush paid him to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag ad, hashtag sponsored. Um. <laughs> no, but but honestly, all jokes aside, like I said, it's it's inspiration, man. Like people talk about generational and all that, and I hate words like that because they don't mean anything. But one thing you will say is, in years to come, you said about redefining the position you will at least say when Trent appears as a pundit in on Sky Sports in 2041 or whenever, you'll be like, this guy played so differently to every other right-back you're seeing. You know, players were talking about like Reese James, Lamptey. They're all wicked, wicked, wicked right-backs at being a conventional right-back. Trent, Trent is doing it differently, man. That, that That's the main thing. I don't... Better is whether you prefer it or not. But I, we can say that we've got the most unique right back on the planet. Big, big facts. Peter, anything you want to add to that? Because I think it's it, the conversation around Trent, I think it's really interesting that you can kind of see rival fans that are really starting to, like, even Liverpool tax can't save their arguments anymore now. It's it's weird to think that once upon a time they were putting this guy up against, you know, Aaron Wambasaka. That was an actual debate people were having. And you look back at it now and you're thinking, is it crack? Was it being smoked? Is it in the air? You know what I mean? But 
Talk, talk, talk to me how you how you feel about Trent. He's the best. <laughs> that's, all that, that's all that needs to be said. That's all that needs that to be said. That was Peter's Peter's Pep Guardiola moment. By far. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that guy had me crazy. But I rewind that about four different times. And he goes, by far. It was the the leading just did it for me. The guy's a comedic genius, man. If Honestly. you can't say like. He literally said by far in a fuck you way. Like I've never seen someone say fuck you by saying by far. Like, he literally it's his face like, as well. It's the way he he's phenomenal. Like, <laughs> he's he's box office, honestly. Box office. <laughs> no, but Trent, Trent, Trent's the best. Like there's no other argument. Like what argument can you put forward? Like he's generally the best, and it's not even like he's now not even right back conversations. He's in that like, conversations of like best player in the Premier League conversations now. So yeah, like there's there's no he's he's definitely been top five in the Premier League this year. Um. He'll be in another team of the season this year again. Um, he'll probably break his assist record again. I'm tired, bro. What, what, like, what, what more do you want? <laughs> what, I, I, I think very best? few people now argue whether yeah. he's the best right back in the Premier League ever because I don't, I think even Gary Neville was saying, like, I'm not better than him, so <laughs> don't put me there. So if it's not Gary Neville, there's not anyone else. You're not going to put, I don't know, Zabaleta or flipping Danny. Yeah, Lewis, he's the best man. I was hearing Ivanovic shouts at one point, man. Scary. Really, really scary, hours. scary hours, scary hours, man. Trent, yeah, Trent, man. I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter. I, I saw it kind of like over the weekend, but he's even got Bayern Munich fans shook where they were kind of saying he'll never be Philip Lahm. This is what Philip Lahm was doing at age yeah, 20. I saw that like, as well. Really weird, really weird. Brother, I, I, I don't give a damn about no <laughs> Philip Lahm. Lahm, the, what? Fact, the fact he's entered that debate and worried them. Is scary at 22. He's already scared about Lam's legacy. Boy. And then someone had the absolute unmitigated goal, the audacity to put Benjamin Benjamin Pavard in him in a combined Bayern Munich Liverpool 11. Uh, okay, man. Uh, you might be able to run Bundesliga year in, year out, but come Prem, man. You, you know. Well, he let's, doesn't let's, even let's run that. He's been injured for how long? He's barely just got into. But well, anyway, let's let's move on. Trent, <laughs> obviously, Trent is um, the main. Prov- I said he's basically the main provider of the penalty that essentially seal puts the final nail in Crystal Palace's coffin for the game. And of course, as is per tradition with British punditry and just how we cover the sport, has VAR ruined the game? Are referees getting these decisions quite right? But. It was interesting that uh, we, me and Mike did the post-match and initially I actually thought it wasn't the penalty. And Mike kind of said afterwards, you know, watching it push you back, it is a penalty. After I've kind of like had a bit of time to digest and kind of look it back over, you can definitely see how it is a penalty and how it has been overturned. What were your guys kind of like, obviously the initial thought, I thought we all kind of agreed that it was very soft. But watching it back, what have you guys really thought about this decision? Especially the fallout from it as we've kind of gone on from days after the match. I found the fallout like utterly bizarre because to me, the more you watch it, the more penalty it looks. And like, I understand the kind of so let me let's, let's maybe let's clarify why I think it's been given as a penalty, why I think it's a penalty. Whether Jota can reach the ball or not is immaterial to the decision the referee makes to, and giving it a penalty because you can't clatter a player in the box even, even though the ball's not in play. You, you literally cannot do that. The reason I think it's a penalty is because the goalkeeper's coming at pace. He's out of control. Jota's actually slowing down as he makes contact. And yes, Jota just slightly leaned into him, a little cheeky lean into him. But the goalkeeper probably would have clattered Jota anyway because he's coming like at such pace and he's out of control. It's a penalty. I'm sorry. It's just a clear penalty. The more, the, the more I watched it, I was just like, 
why are there complaints about this? I, I'm oh. generally baffled by them. Mike. Yes, Jota, does le- Jota leans in very slightly, but also when a goalkeeper's oh. coming at pace and flying in, you're going to make contact. It's a penalty. And if you're, gonna, if you're going to invite oh. contact as well as a goalkeeper, I'm going to take it. You know what I mean? Definitely. And he, so sold, it, he sold it like HBK. You know, you, 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 you tweeted it. <laughs> He sold like HBK against Hogan. Yeah, like I don't know, man. I just don't feel too good about. It. I, I don't. I like it's, it's one of them ones where like hold it. You know what I'm saying? Hold that. Like hold that. Like finally we get a decision that's probably a bit, ugh, but hold that. But now nah, if it wants to be like unbiased and kind of like I just I don't I see what you're saying in terms of um it doesn't matter about if George's getting the ball or not. But I think he. Guayar, he pulls out like his hands go down. He and pulls out when he's like, he's, out, he's close. Out. It's too late. To pull out. <laughs> no, bro, he, he pulls, pulls out, out when he's like, he, he, go on, go on. He go pulls on. out at a point of contact. <laughs> like, by the on. way, we we've even got mushed on the wrestling chat. That's how fucking phenomenal this party is. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is that he pulls out and it's kind of like the pace he goes into Jota is very slow. Like it's oh, very stop. slow. It's, 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 about? it's not like he's. Crashed completely into him. Look, 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 everyone, everyone, you need to watch Peter Clayton to understand this. This is a guy who is a guaranteed two-footed yellow card every game. So Peter is just justifying his entire <laughs> existence right now. Are uh, you would enforce the I think that's no. Nah, do you know what? We no, nah, let me not even get to that anyway. Much. Anyway, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he has no defense, he has no defense. <laughs> let me not get into that. Um, but yeah, I, no, I, I think that's just crazy soft. Um, I don't know, man. I just I feel like Jordan, like you said, Jordan invites it, and Gray can't really do much. Um, he goes into I don't think there's enough force in that personally for it to be a penalty. The, the reason Gray can't do much is because he's coming, he can't stop. He's not in control. He can't he's slow down. He's coming in Jota... sideways. He's coming in yeah. sideways. He's not come straight on at the ball. He's coming in from the side. So the ball's gone past at this yeah. point. And, and I think I think the big thing is what the first thing you said. I actually didn't think, like like Chris, I didn't think it was a pen at first. And then I can't remember who said it. And someone just told me, Mush, if you were jogging into the box watching the ball roll past and an opposition, opposition defender just took you out for no reason, wouldn't you look at the ref and say, what the hell are you doing? Is that not a penalty? And that, that's the case. That's the case because Jota has definitely missed the ball when he tries to control it and he doesn't control the bouncing ball. But the point is, you have just obstructed and, and taken out an opposition player for no reason at all. So and, I think, and I think the point about invited contact, I think that's hard to, to kind of, just, uh, when you watch it back, it, it looks like Jota leans into him, but because he's so much out of control, you can make a strong case that he makes contact with with. Guaita, even if he doesn't kind of make that kind of lean in. So for the referee looking back at it, I think it's so crystal clear why he gives it. And again, the laws of the game do not stipulate that you can clatter opposition players in the box when the ball's out of play. So it's, yeah. for me, it's a penalty. I don't I don't understand the arguments against it. Do, do you know what it is, Pete? What you're saying about it being soft, yeah? If Guaita had like, let's say, come across the ground and just tried to reach his arms with the ball, and Jota's leaned in and fallen over, I think that wouldn't be a pen. It's the fact that Guaita's entire body goes yeah. through Jota. It's not yeah. like it's just a keeper reaching for a ball. It's a keeper who's flatlined another another footballer on the pitch to tr- at, in, at the expense of trying to get the ball. That's why I think it's a pen. Do you know what's funny? Palace have a stronger case for the second goal being ruled out than that goal. Because the second goal, Firmino clearly interferes with it while he's offside. Mm. Should be ruled out, but if you look at the laws of the game, that should be ruled out because Firmino's offside and he interferes with the play. Um, and we obviously go on to score, so 
if anything, I I would strong if I was a Palace fan, I'd be more upset with the second goal because second goal is a more decisive and b just a clearer violation of the laws or the, of the game. So, and and, yeah. and look, this is the last thing I'm going to say on it. But whatever weirdos, whatever weirdo Liverpool fans, yeah, are I saw tweets like, I'm so disappointed. I don't want to ever see my club win a game getting penalties like this. And look, you're, you're, not, you're, not, Sorry, you're not built for it, man. Farley's a slimy. Do you see what Farley tweeted? He was like, oh, this is a disgrace. <laughs> it's a disgraceful decision. It's a disgraceful decision. Shut up, Farley. No, he, he was up, actually looking for some, some, some validity or looking for some acceptance from other fans. Farley, oh, shut the hell up. Shut up, Farley, man. I'm going to use a TLF term here, yeah? Get your pens up, everyone. Don't make it up. so nasty, bro. Oh, bro, he loves that. He loves that. Bro, I've got, you're, I've you're, got you're a right. If I also look like the unbiased, you know what I'm saying, the fair one. The sensible fan, like, the sensible yeah, fan. The sensible fan. fan. To, you know, that, that type of guy. Get out of here, my friend. <laughs> Brother, I've got a picture of the late great Eddie Guerrero behind me, and I graduated from the school of I lie, I cheat, I steal. Get it by any yeah, means yeah. necessary. You know what I mean? Especially when there's gold on the line. You got to do what you got to do, man. got to do what you got to do. <laughs> And of course, um, the match we did reference is uh, Shawn Michaels versus uh, HBK, which is from SummerSlam 2005. So, yeah, do give it a watch if you want some high level of comedy from uh, some of the senators in that match, because good God, um, it's it's absolutely fantastic. Um, just moving on quite, quite quickly before we do kind of close the part off. Um, it's been a very big, big week for LFC um, when you really think about it. I, I wrote down from Ashy to Classy, just considering how down in the dumps we were and kind of like uh, our expectations going throughout the season. Uh, we've absolutely slapped Arsenal in that second leg. Uh, it's it's actually quite disgusting what we did to them. It was, um, yeah, it was it was nasty. We gave them, you know, the business in their own ground. Come and get your second leg back. Um, get your second leg back. <laughs> that tweet was hilarious. Never put that tweet out. That was so. I have never seen a club yeah, so fixated on a cancellation of a transfer, man. It was scary. I was seeing think pieces, I was seeing round red tables, podcasts, all sorts going on just because one fixture was cancelled, man. I've never seen more jobless behavior in my entire life. And I've been in a job center once. It's, um, it was eye-opening. It was eye-opening indeed. Um, we're alive in all four competitions, especially you know from the result as well. We're now in the final, still in the FA Cup. We've got the uh, last 16 of the Champions League to come up as well. What, so is anyone brave enough? Is anyone willing to stick it on the line in an audio format? What you think, prediction-wise, for the rest of the season is going to be? Mike's raised his hand. I'm going to go to him first. I've been quite bullish recently just because I have so much faith in this side. I think hopefully we'll win a League Cup. I think we'll win a League Cup. Um, we'll find a way against Chelsea. And I think there's every chance we can win a league as well. I just think this side... Do you know what it is? I just feel something. And I just... I can't shake that feeling. I think we're either going to win the league or Champions League and the League Cup and we'll, we'll do a double of some sorts, basically. I'm going to stick my neck out and say that. <laughs> Pete, you go next. Pete ain't impressed at all. Pessimism. Listen, back the boys. It's not... Pes- pe- it's not... Pessimism. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's about watching reality and seeing our boys and seeing 
listen, if that game ended at 30 minutes against Palace, I would be in that camp with you, literally. If that game ended in that first half performance, yes. But there's just that that little, you know what I'm saying, that little vulnerability, that, that fragility of this team where we just continue to wait. Don't be a coward. Happen. Don't be a coward, bro. Listen. And, and, and don't be a fool. So, you know what I'm saying? You've got to be in the middle. So, um... Chris, there's, a, there's your pod title. Don't be a coward. Don't be a fool. <laughs> don't be a coward. Don't be a fool. <laughs> it's like, welcome, welcome to Bible End Fracas, where we're telling you all the good proverbs. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like a movie or something. Aesop's fable. <laughs> but, no, I, I, I agree in the I think we're gonna win the Carabao Cup. Um I actually I'm I'm really happy about that in terms of winning a domestic trophy. Klopp winning finally win the domestic trophy. I'm trying to collect all of the trophies, you know what I'm saying? One by one. Like by fans, time, yeah. yeah, by the time he he Klopp ends, we're gonna have the, the glove, you know what I'm saying, of all of all the trophies and I can just the glove. The glove. Gauntlet, come on. The gauntlet. That'd be, that'd be be accurate. Accurate. <laughs> All right, you little nerd. Sorry. <laughs> the glove. <laughs> the glove. But yeah, he'll have the the, glo- the gauntlet, and we, I can I can finally say that we've won all the trophies. You know what I'm saying? So um, I think we'll hopefully we'll win the Carabao Cup. I think we have a great chance of winning the Champions League. Um, I think our team's really set up for knockout stages and the madness of knockout stage. And in terms of you score, I score. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I think our team's really really built for that. We've got loads of our. Get- um, goals and our attack. So yeah, I think the Carabao Cup and the Champions League, and hopefully, um, just being really solid in the Premier League and the gap between us and Man City not being big at all. So even if like we we, like I'm saying, all right, Mike's doing these funny these funny sides. <laughs> all right, yeah, um, yeah. So again, just not being too far from City and winning the Champions League and Carabao Cup. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Oh. Um, well, I, I listen. I messaged Pete privately saying I, I talked to Pete privately when walking off the pitch for, again for touchline. And I said, Look, I think something about Liverpool, I don't want to say it out loud, but I said, I've run the numbers. We can have two to three. No, times. don't say it, bro. Don't say I'm it. Saying it. Don't I'm saying it. it. Babs is going to clip this up by tomorrow, 9 a.m. Babs has clipped this up. I don't, I don't, Babs, <laughs> but where's that 50 cent mean? I'm addressing you, Babs. All right. This I'm, is an ALS, ELS <laughs> for you, Babs. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna give ten thousand dollars if you get now. Um, I genuinely think um, ninety points is obtainable if we can have two to three bad games. So that means we don't need these crazy city runs of winning 12, 15 in a row. What that means is win five, six, seven, then probably have a slip up, then just go again, just reload. So I think. We, we put up a respectable total and see where that pitches us against City. City get 94, fine. It was never Mars to begin with, right? Um, cups, I want to stat pad these cups, man. I want both. I want the FA Cup and the League Cup. People, we, look, we're from a generation where we weren't in, in line with for a lot of these big trophies, man. Our favourite memories are goals in FA Cup finals and penalty yeah. shootouts against bloody Cardiff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the, these yeah. things still mean a lot. And and I think where we've probably gone wrong in this project compared to your Chelsea's and Cities is that we, we don't compete enough for Cups. And and yeah. I, think, I think whether it's FSG, whether it's the Liverpool management, always position it as like, we're poor old Liverpool. How are we meant to compete for everything? But we can. We're talking about going out to poor teams or not getting far enough in cups. So mm. Champions League is all about luck of the draw, I think. Um, Agreed. 
I, I don't think there's anyone better than us. Genuinely, even Bayern, this version of Bayern don't really bother me too much. I don't think there's anyone outstandingly better than us. But after, like, after Upper Meccano's defender, I saw at the weekend, by the way. Um, well, yeah, I, I completely agree, Chris. And and on top of that, I think the only thing that worries me is what Pete said, which is I'm not scared of anyone in the Champions League, but I also think we could go out to anyone in the Champions League by being stupid. So um, <laughs> it, it's it's like it's a two. Instead of you touch, I touch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could be honestly, it could be anyone. It could be bloody, I don't even know who's left in it. Someone stupid left in it who we could go out to. So let's see. I want putting our necks out, yeah. I want three trophies, yeah. Give me both cups. This, is, a, both this is my cups. type of guy, man. Give me both cups and then give me one of the big boys. That, yeah. That's what I want. Treble, we're leaving with something this season. We are leaving with something. We're leaving with something. something. 100% leaving with something. One of the points that Mush said there, I, I think he's he's extremely valid, and I think it's one of the things we've done really well this season. You know, obviously in, in the macro view, whenever we look into a season, we you know I think they're guilty. We're they're guilty of it as a club, and we're guilty as a fan base as well. Not putting you know a big interest on the League Cup or the FA Cup, but the impact that I think this has had, and I think Mike agrees as well, kind of on the overall squad morale with. This is probably the right, not right terminology, but you know the, the bit part players in in their overall morale and the contributions they've had. You look at Curtis Jones, you look at Kelleher specifically as well in the League Cup run, and Minamino again that League Cup run too, and even Origi to an extent. It's given them a massive confidence boost that they can deliver in these competitions. And when we have seen them in the starting 11s and you know playing the Premier League and whatnot, they have been there to deliver. So I think this cup run cannot go kind of under the radar for the your know, kind of not transformative, I think that's a bit too far, but that big effect that it's really had on you know the boost of the squad. 100%. I think with the League Cup, you can sell the story of, listen, you all contributed to, to this and you can go from your Tyler Mortons all the way up to your Mo Salas, hopefully when he plays in the final. So that's the story you can sell and I think that could be a really momentum-building trophy win because it happens in February and obviously after that, you've got Champions League and you've got running when it comes to the league title. So, I do think that's a really massive game when it comes to kind of being able to sell that story to the squad. Well, actually, this is all of us. Because with the league, sometimes, you know, there are players like Tyler Mawson's barely played in the league, you know, um, who else? Owen Beck and, and Connor Bradley, all of these players who are kind of on the fringes. They've not played, but they've played in the league cup. Origi as well. Origi and Minamino. Minamino is a top scorer in this, in this competition, no? Or he might be one of the top scorers in this competition. So these players of all who are on the fringe of the squad have all contributed. So if, you, if we can win it, Hopefully, it is like a really like sort of morale boosting win, also momentum building win. Because, like I said, nicely out in Wembley. You be also we're not we're not playing like I think the reason why I think this league cup is a really important game is because we're not playing against like some rubbish side. We're playing against probably the third best team in Europe and the third best team in the country. So to beat Chelsea in, in a cup final, you know, big big deal. So honestly, I just feel so pumped up for the end of the season. Got players coming back. You know, most Salah's going to come back on absolute fire, I'm sure. Mane's looking good at AFCON, so he hopefully comes back well. And wish him a speedy recovery, by the way. Um, but yeah, like just just happy days, happy days, man. This is a this is a great time to be a Liverpool fan, honestly. These are the glory days. These are the days that we've waited for. These are the days that we've wanted all our lives. And you know, we're gonna we're leaving with something. I'm telling you guys, we are leaving with something. That's it. We're leaving with something, man. One hundred percent. Um. Also, close the pod off, but I'm having such a good time. I thought we could give the guys next. I thought we could give the listeners an extra ten minutes, a little bit of a bit of an insight to what we deliver with our Patreon content as well. You know, 
there's not there's, there's no football happening. You want that you want that LFC content. You want a little bit more to drip feed you throughout that week. I, I know you guys. I know, but I know, I know, I know what the streets want specifically from Coppen. So let's give them an extra ten minutes. And you know, uh, we released a patient piece uh, kind of earlier this week that the Bantics boys themselves, the little link up they've got there. Um, I was happy enough. To, I was you know glad enough to join with them along with Ellis, where we did a little bit of a breakdown of attacking players that Liverpool should sign. Um, Actually, Pete, I'll, I'll let you take it away. Kind of what, what what we delivered on that part. So basically, it was kind of we had an idea of obviously we know that Liverpool um, we obviously probably are going to sign some attackers in the summer. Um, so we decided to kind of take it into our own hands. And me, Mike, and Chris, we decided upon two attackers. Obviously, they can't be the same, and that we think Liverpool should sign. So we done like an in-depth scouting piece and scouting report on two attackers that we think. Um, we should all sign. So, and then we got the big boss in Ellis, you know what I'm saying? The, the, the big senior, senior man Ellis to come in and be the chief and kind of decide what attackers that we should sign. So, yeah, it's really fun piece, really enjoyable piece. And you probably learn one or two things about some potential um, scouting um, reports and people that, um, that we, you think Liverpool should sign. One of them, Luis Diaz, I think Tottenham put a um, bid in today for him. So, yeah, um, probably, probably can't be far from the money with our scouting reports, I think. Exactly, man. I mean, look, look at the football football knowledge you get in week in week out from from the boys. So imagine that in a bit more of an in depth setting as well, where we kind of really go into some of the footballs we think would be fantastic for Liverpool. And again, that is a Patreon exclusive piece. So do head over to www.patreon.com forward slash Captain Fracas and subscribe from three pound a month today. Um, I want to stick on the transfer window, by the way, because I want to get you guys' opinion um, on kind of what we've seen. Because for me, uh, January, I think is a weird month for transfers just in general because it's the desperation of the desperation doing desperate moves. But we kind of sold this big transfer window. You know, obviously with Newcastle, they're going to go out, they're going to buy all these superstars. Um, you know, Tottenham are going to do big things. We you know Patrici and um, I saw Bab say something really funny earlier about Wigman, uh, about uh, uh, being Conte, which was just <laughs> absolutely, uh, it's just absolutely diabolical slander, but yeah, it, it was good stuff. Um, but I think it's just been all a bit lackluster, in all honesty. I mean, I, I've got no clue what Sky Sports News have been doing because they've had three shows, three or four shows a day, which have been focused on transfers. And the biggest thing they've had to talk about is, is Vlahovic, and he's not even got to Arsenal, he's got to the Juventus now. So I don't even know what, like, what's been going on on these transfer shows. So so for you guys, what what are you expecting from like the remainder of this transfer window from all the players, all the big players involved? Do you know what I've been enjoying? I've been enjoying seeing Arsenal miss out on all their transfer targets. Do you understand? It took me back to twenty fourteen. It took me back to twenty thirteen when they thought they were getting Higuain, and it's the exact same bio, the exact same venom that's throwing his head again. Do you remember when they thought they were getting Benzema? And he tweeted out something like, "I'm not going to Arsenal." Or something along those lines. <laughs> 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 Do you know what? It's, it's the fact that all these players they they all they all have to come out like you know when you know what you know what I'll compare it to this. You know what? One of your boys will be like, "Oh yeah, I heard you're linking that girl," and she's yeah, yeah. Like, you're like, "No, no." Yes, <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> I, was say, I was not in this area. I've got my like, location bro, from where I was. I I've got three her. witnesses. <laughs> like, I don't even. Like, like, there's, there's certain girls you don't mind being associated with, and there's yeah, other girls you have to do public statement to deny. <laughs> you have any like, like I said, there's some like there's some. Play, um, clubs that you know what I'm saying players won't even come out and deny it. It seems like all these players they have to come out and deny those nicks to Arsenal. Like Vlahovic is like, no, <laughs> no, sir, not me. But um, 
Yeah. So, yeah. And you know, with Arsenal fans, yeah, sorry, just another point is that what they do is that they do this, the maddest scouting reports on these players. Like, they'll tell you, like, I know these men, they can tell me what Vlahovic, what he's good at, what he does, his record in 1819, how many headed goals he scores, his non penny XG, all this stuff. And he ends up going to Juventus. Again, another one, Bruno Gamarish. He's got a reported bid from Newcastle today. Um, also, I'm not, not going to sign him. Like, yeah, it's just been so funny. I know Liverpool ain't doing any business, but watching these men suffer as well, hey, cash money, gold. That's the business I've been suffering, and you know, it is booming. Um, by the way, if Gomez went to bloody Newcastle, I hope there's some sort of relegation clause in there because I, you know, I happily do what they we did with Wijnaldum for him. Boy, um, well, we're a player. The whole Newcastle thing, by the way, Mike, I'll come to you specifically. What the fuck is going on there? Because honestly, they haven't got it. Seems like they should be getting like the basics, you know, when you, you, go, you go and do your shopping, and you think, okay, cool, I need these core basics. To get me just just get me through the week, but then you look at you looking at all these club card deals and you're thinking, oh yeah, I can go for this. You know, it's a little bit a little bit out of the price range, but no, I'm gonna go and get it. You know, who cares, man? No, we're gonna get it. But you end up leaving without the basics, and then you've got these two luxury items that you're gonna eat on the way back home. It's very reminiscent of what Newcastle are doing with the transfer window, and it just boggles the mind. Bro, it's the, I, I was I was saying to you the other day because you asked us in the group like, are we surprised what's going on there? I'm not. I don't think they have any football people at the kind of club in terms of like the the ownership I'm not entirely sure if they have a clue what they're doing it just appears to me they're just trying to sign like kind of highly rated players from across Europe with no clear plan of how these players fit into the team uh, like they've been linked to Deli Ali Jesse Lingard this Brazilian lad you mentioned as well and just like where are these players going to play where they're going to fit in so yeah I, by the way I hope Newcastle go down like just side note so I don't I hope they miss out on all these targets and go down that's like a kind of tangential point but what? yeah I, I kind of expected this I, I can't wait to do the fo- I can't wait to do the photoshop of the R.I.P. Bozo meme with just Mike's face on it when Newcastle go down that's going to be yeah time 100% well, why, why do you hope they go down Mike because no, so so I'm, I'm thinking long term here and I'm thinking about Liverpool Football Club I'm thinking about a long term picture Newcastle stay up, they build momentum, they sign some players over the summer they kind of get their act together okay, they eventually right. get the right structure in place and then a team that are backed by a state, obviously that has its own issues, the kind of sports washing and the kind of moral issues there. But a club backed by a state have like bottomless bits of money. They're another issue for Liverpool when it comes to kind of winning trophies. So I want them. So I basically want to delay the inevitable because it does feel like they will eventually get it right. They will eventually going to get the right structure in place like City do, like City currently do right now, obviously, and like go on to like win trophies. Yeah. But if they can go down and kind of delay the project, then I'm I'm happy. So you know, maybe spend a few years in championship, even I'd be happy. So yeah, I want I, I since of all the teams that are in the relegation zone, Newcastle the one I I'm literally on my knees for to go down. Like I I will honestly think it would mean more to me than winning the trophy. It might mean more to me than winning the trophy. You know, honestly, uh, like, calculate, Newcastle great club by the way, um, great club outrageous. by the way. But I I think long term. I've been the one on the cop end talking about the age profile of the squad, all of this. I think long term, <laughs> I think about the big picture. And for Liverpool Football Club to kind of remain, you know, dominant, all this sort of thing, you know, we need, you know, little competition. You know, City and Chelsea, maybe United here and there, but, you know, two or three clubs. But I don't want to be four or five clubs and, you know, Aston Villa come through or something. You know, just, you know, just... Mike had to include Villa. Stevie Gerrard's doing bits there, bro. Listen, honestly, they might win the league next year, you know. Honestly, yeah. honestly, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Cut the cameras. Cut the cameras. No, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm joking. <laughs> but that's a transfer. Like, I want him to sign Deli Ali just like on Newcastle. Sorry, I want I do Deli Ali's a player that I, I like a lot. Like, I, lo- I loved him when he was talking about his best. And I kind of hope so. What I hope for Newcastle oh. is he goes there. <laughs> 
That's that one stinking. <laughs> that one's I'm, listen, I know he's not a fan amongst the top the, mm. the, the touchline group. He's you know scruffy technique, all that sort of thing. I love the way he finished moves. I love the way he was kind of like a player that was like decisive in the final third. I loved all of that about his game. And I hope that what happens for him now is he goes to Newcastle, kind of revives his career a bit, but they still go down. So that's all I want for Newcastle. <laughs> the match is a hater. You're just a pure hater, bro. I am. Listen, I, I've spoiled it out for you guys. I'm sure Liverpool <laughs> fans listening to this will, will actually, you know, oh, see boys. what I'm saying and be like, Mike has a point. Mike has a point. Mike, Mike, no, no, Mike. My point isn't isn't even banter related. Apparently, Newcastle are struggling uh, strategically because they can't sign top players because apparently they're very they're very worried that relegation is very likely. So they're stuck between: do we sign players who will see us through the championship and build long term, or do we sign top players and risk everything to stay up and then struggle shifting all of them afterwards? So apparently they're. Um, they're in the middle of nowhere. At the so moment. what you're saying is that this transfer window is their high line. Interesting. This, this is... <laughs> see how we tie things around. It's high risk, high reward. Yeah. <laughs> Out of curiosity, which approach would you take if you're Newcastle? Uh, so for the ownership right now. Basics now. Man, solid. I don't think going for that Diego Carlos and people like this. Like, come on, man. I, I would drop. I would drop. Build the right infrastructure and come yeah. back. Lost. I would you? Yeah. Like, I would go for like. Like, like you said, like talents, like like Lingard, maybe a Tavoski, Tavoski yeah. No, knows the league, what well, that sort of thing, you know. Yeah, they should, they should honestly, they honestly, they, they should have gone for. I understand why they did Chris Wood because it weakens Burnley and it's basically okay, cool. It's just a way for us to kind of stave off relegation. I didn't think striker was a realistic need for them, realistically. And if they did want one, they probably got one in on loan. What you do is you just get. Two centre backs, which you desperately need because the aggression, the aggression from Lascelles and whoever the other clown is, they have there as well. Kieran, it's just Kieran Clark. But, why the fuck are <laughs> you giving Kieran Clark a centre back in 2022? It's mind boggling. Um, so go out and sign Tarkovsky on a cheap. Go and sign a Nat Phillips. At least then you've got two competent centre backs. We can we can do the basics well. Then maybe take a punt or a flyer on you know a, a good European talent that you can probably get for around about 30, 35 million an hour or something. Sure up your midfield a bit and then try and sign an attack on our low with an obligation to buy if you stay up for the rest of the season because at least then you've got some decent players and some talent you can take into the championship. I think once, yeah, like you said, you just need maybe an Ali or Lingard than like a Tovoski and then a midfielder. And I think they would say, up. Oh, that's that's better than Norwich team, that's better than Bernie's team. And you know what I'm saying? It, then, then there's a struggle between that, that last place. So, yeah, you're definitely right. How do you guys feel about, um, Wofford basically strengthening their Nigerian core after they angered all of Nigeria with the Emmanuel Dennis stuff. If I speak, I'll be in trouble. So, yeah, I like my <laughs> take. Shout out, shout out Nigeria, yeah. Super, super pigeons. That's what I'm hearing. Wow. Is it? Wow. We've got two Nigerians here, bro. Be very careful. <laughs> they were wow. asking me to hold saying. that when Egypt were losing, you know, like I've got anything to do with it. <laughs> 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 That's pretty funny, by the way. I on Watford. I mean, the Dennis thing is partly like a kind of administrative issue on Nigeria, Nigeria's side, but also just Watford being a bit, you know, yeah. But I don't know. Watford is a weird club. Roy Hodgson's just gone there. Will they stay up? Who knows? They'll probably go back down next season That's anyway. Scary so. season. Half a season of Ranieri followed by half a season of Hodgson. Wait, 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 wait. Like, wait literal tales from the crypt. <laughs> 
also, like, Roy Hodgson's 74. Yeah, just rest. Bro, are, honestly. Rich, Rich, these are men who wrote Aesop's fables, by the way. These are men. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> they pilot Ellis, tested Ellis Aesop's them, fables. The stories are about them. <laughs> Ellis, the man. Like, I'm Ellis sure is he was Asian, married mate. in the 1980s or some of that. Like, he was definitely <laughs> in the 80s and the 70s. And I don't know why. Like, I think people like Roy Hodgson, like, being at home scares them. Right. I'm, they don't like being jobless. They don't like being home. Like all they know, innit? It's all they know. They know. need to have that stress on their mind. Like, oh, who, who should I pick? Oh, this, this, that. Oh, the eleven on Saturday. Like, so yeah. Know, R- Roy Hodgson is basically like the Ric Flair of the footballing world. Won't leave it alone, bro. <laughs> he's, got can't, the can't... he's got the drip, man. You've seen his watches. <laughs> <laughs> Funny uh, enough, he, he probably got. He gets them more organized, and they probably have a, a more of a study back four. Funny enough, with Roy Hodgson. Yeah, probably. I just, I just find the the, the whole Waffle thing is just absolutely insane. The the turnover of managers and the you know because they, they, they'll get relegated, they'll automatically come back up. And it's like, well, what are we doing here? Like, then Watford at Norwich uh, and West Brom should be barred from being promoted just because of you know how yo yo their approaches from coming back up. I saw a tweet that they should have their own league. So like West Brom, Fulham, Norwich, Watford just have their own league, just like play Super, Super League. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right, actually. Do can, you imagine trying to sell the, can you imagine trying to sell the rights for that league? Like trying to go around the world getting sponsored. The nothing league. It would just be like <laughs> Bradstons and, and like flipping Autoglass. That's all you're going to get. <laughs> the Autoglass Purgatory League. There we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we have a good laugh here. And if you did, if you did like that little bit of a spiel we on there in terms of, sort of transfer market and whatnot. That's a little bit of a glimpse of what you get from the Copper and Fracas Patreon page. So do head over to patreon.com forward slash Copper and Fracas and subscribe today. But that's been your bumper edition of Copper and Fracas for the 26th of January 2022. Still feels weird to say, very much a futuristic year. Of course, we're back next week with um, a little bit of a preview of you know, expectations we have for Liverpool kind of going on and the running towards the end of the season. I've been your host, Chris. I've been joined by Mike, Peter and Mush. Fantastic part gentlemen. Thank you for joining me as well. We will see you next week. Stay safe. Stay sound. And keep those expectations high for the Reds. Until then, we'll see you soon. Peace. Network.